One of, some of you will think it's a quirk. So one of the quirks that I have is I like to watch fail videos like on YouTube. I mean, I just think it's funny because people do the most ridiculous things and some of it's appalling, but most of it's just funny. I don't like the ones where somebody really gets hurt. Uh, but there is a unique like subset of fail videos that are like instant karma. When somebody does something ridiculous or wrong and instantly gets caught or instantly gets payback or something like that. And those are kind of fun too, because it's a little bit satisfying when somebody does something wrong and they think they're gonna get away with it and they get caught. But karma or revenge can be taken to an extreme and particularly revenge, it can get out of control really, really quickly. Way back in the beginning of Genesis, like Genesis chapter four, so we're pretty early on in human history, there's a story about this guy named Lamech, and he is uh, famous for this one thing only. It's Genesis 4:23 says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zilhah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So talk about taking the law of karma or the law of revenge to the nth degree. This kid did something to Lamech that wounded him at some level. And so Lamech felt perfectly okay with just killing him. And basically what he says is anything you do to me, I will do 77 times back to you, which seems crazy. Except to some level, I think that still happens in a much dangerous, much more dangerous way than just fail videos. Because lately I've noticed that people don't want to just win, they want to annihilate the other side or the enemy. And sometimes I wonder if there's even a difference anymore between the other side and the enemy. It's actually one of the many things that I enjoy about watching football. And I've noticed that particularly this year. Maybe they've always done it, but this year it really sticks with me. You can watch a really tough football game. And when that clock finally winds down to zero, guys who are fighting as hard as possible are now shaking hands and hugging and giving each other high fives. It's just kind of this nice little moment to remind each other we don't have to be vengeful all of the time that we can actually compete with one another, we can be on other sides, we don't have to hate each other, we can actually get along. And I've told you many times about my guys group that we are all over the spectrum, uh, politically in almost any way that you wanna talk about. I mean, we all love Jesus and that's what we have in common. And we can have these tremendous, you know, heated arguments and we always part friends because you don't have to hate other people. We believe that there can be a different reality. We believe that there is a different reality that we can live in. And that new reality that we believe in is really encapsulated in many ways in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, which is in like chapter five and six of Matthew, we read that like, what planet are you from, Jesus? That will never work. Oh, but it does. What do you think Jesus was doing on Good Friday and Easter if not changing the way things are and creating a new reality? Do we act like when Jesus breaks the power of evil and sin and death, that that's just for some future time? And for now, we're stuck with the way things are in that cycle of vengeance or karma? Because if the good news is just for the future, 
that's not the gospel. I, I see a lot of that, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is always presented as good news for here and now. So this is the second week of our new sermon series, Life Hacks from Jesus. And the idea is to dive into the teachings of Jesus to see how we should be living our lives so that we can bring our lives more into harmony with the lives that Jesus wants us to have, more living into that new reality. So I'm going to read from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, beginning at Matthew 5, verse 38. And for some of you, it'll be a super familiar passage. For others of you, not so much. But try not to listen to this like, yeah, right. Try to listen to this as if Jesus is describing a new reality, a new way to live. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So really when Jesus is saying these things, he's saying, here's some stuff for you to do. He's not just throwing this out as hyperbole. I mean, he really expects that we can do this thing. And it's important because the new reality that Jesus creates after the cross and the resurrection that we're moving towards, we have an opportunity not just to live into that reality, but in a very real way to help bring about that reality by the way we love and care for other people. So in this text, Jesus gives three items of conventional wisdom rooted in the Old Testament, and then he redefines them. So he says, so you've heard it said, eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Uh, let's pause, let's, let's figure this out a little bit. Because this sure sounds like Jesus is telling us that we, that we should allow ourselves to be abused. I mean, if somebody abuses you physically, let them abuse you more. But that's not what he's talking about. This is not about allowing yourself to be abused or putting yourself in a position where abuse can and does happen. And to be just absolutely clear, if you are in an abusive relationship, you need to get out. No questions asked, just get out. And we'll help you if we can. So this is not Jesus condoning abusive violence. This is really talking about insults. Because notice what he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek. The way that you get slapped on the right cheek is by a backhanded slap. That's an insult. And so that's what he's really getting at. So this is really about taking control. If somebody insults you, even in a terrible way, this is a way for you to take control of the situation and say, 
I'm not going to respond to the insult. Uh, I'm not going to give you what, what you want. Go ahead. Give it a, another shot. I will not return insult for insult. You want to be mean to me? Go ahead. I'm still going to stand here and I'm going to complete your order or I'm going to finish your diagnosis or I'm going to serve you your food because I'm not going to be drawn into that behavior. That's essentially what it's talking about. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed recently, and this is probably true at other pharmacies, I just happened to go to Olympic, but whether you drive in or you go into the, to the pharmacy counter, there are signs up all over the place that say we are shorthanded, we're actively looking for other help, um, not everybody came to work today, so please be kind to the ones that did. I mean, you get the idea. And so these people must be taking an, a, a, just a lot of abuse from frustrated folks. I, I get it. But one of the things that I've noticed is they are unfailingly kind. No matter what you say to them, they always greet you happily. They always wish you a, a good day. I mean, they are creating a different reality at Olympic Pharmacy. They could respond huffily. They could be just as mean back. But I think this is what Jesus is talking about. You don't have to return insult for insult. You can live in a different reality. The next thing Jesus talks about is the lawsuit. And he talks about, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your court, your coat as well. Well, for one, contextualized, you need to know that it's illegal to take somebody's coat. And the reason that it's illegal to take somebody's coat is particularly if you are poor, that's your only outer covering and it's probably the blanket that you sleep in at night. So that's why they would take the shirt and not the coat. Now the assumption here is that this is an unjust lawsuit. So you have a person with power who's trying to take something from someone who does not have the same level of power. Only Jesus says, take the power back. If they want to take your shirt, freely offer them your cloak. Then you've taken control of the situation. Then you are responding graciously and actually in many ways what you're doing is you're really showing them for who they are. You want to strip me naked? You want to take everything that I have unfairly? Here, I'll help. I will willingly give it to you. I am demonstrating that I can trust God. That's what Jesus is saying there. And then Jesus says, if someone conscripts you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, again, in the context, the Roman occupying force could grab any able-bodied person on the side of the road and ask them to carry whatever load they wanted to for one mile. That's all. Not one and a half, not two, only one. And you could get in big trouble if you made people go further than this. So Jesus is saying, take control. Say, you're not in control of me. You want one? I'll give you two. I will freely go further with you because I'm not living under your world of oppression. I am living in a world where I can freely grant grace to someone else. And so you've got this three times of uh, a contrast of two patterns of con conduct. The first one is based on the strict justice of the Old Testament code. The second one is based on this totally new set of priorities. Priorities, love and grace and oddly strength. Why would we do those things? Jesus, we believe, breaks the cycle of evil and sin and death. And if we keep returning evil for evil, then the cycle just continues. If we hit back at everyone who strikes at us, 
It only keeps the evil in circulation. We can break the cycle. The evil, the vengeance, the bad behavior, they can all stop with us. The original law was to keep vengeance from getting out of hand, the Lamech thing. You know, if somebody takes your eye, you can't kill them. You can only take their eye. It was to keep revenge manageable. But this is about not doing revenge at all. This is about breaking the cycle of evil and revenge by responding with love and grace. Jesus does these things. When someone offends you or diminishes you, you refuse to be drawn to their level. When someone demands something of you, you can say, here, I freely I give you more. You're not taking anything from me. And Jesus does that specifically. In John 10, 18, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. You can conscript me to go one mile, but I'll go two. I will live with an attitude and outward expression of love and grace. I will rise above the evil and the oppression of the society. And then in verse 42, he says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, this sort of breaks up the symmetry of what has gone on before, but Jesus is kind of extending the logic of what he's been talking about. Have a charitable response to everyone who asks from you. Now, a couple of things because we struggle with this also. You know, we, we think about, you know, you're pumping gas and some dude comes up to you and hits you up for money. And, you know, you want to be generous, but you're like, he's just going to spend it on beer and cigarettes. You know, why would I give him any money? Is it really helping? Um, what Jesus is saying is not don't be discerning. Of course you should be discerning. What Jesus is saying is be a generous person. So figure out how to help. No, I can't give you money, but I'll put $10 in your gas tank. No, I can't give you money, but I'll go in and get you a burrito from the inside if you are hungry. Or at the very least, I'll treat you with dignity like you are a human being. Because those interactions that we have with the people who want money at the gas station or somebody on the side of the road or anything like that, those interactions always tell us more about ourselves than they do about the other people. So be people who are gracious and charitable. And then Jesus sums it up in verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor. We've talked about that so much over the last couple of weeks. It's the second part of the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is accepted as the right thing to do. But Jesus expands this neighbor love, or, or really he blows it up. And this is why following Jesus can be so difficult sometimes because we often define ourselves over against other people. You've got to be taught to hate and fear, and we are. Jesus says, don't hate anybody, <laughs> love everyone. And let's just stop there for now. Don't hate anyone, love everyone. Let's not parse it, let's not define love, Let's not come up with examples ad infinitum and ad absurdum of people that we don't think should be loved or who we don't think are worthy of love. Let's just sit with this for right now. In all of the interactions and conversations that you will have this week, don't hate 
anyone. Love everyone. Period. Then, let's not skip over verse 45. The reason is that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And now we're getting to the real core. I mean, look at God. He's our motivation. He's our example. Not some celebrity, not some politician, not some poorly behaved person who has notoriety for some reason or some influencer. The person that we want to model our lives after is Jesus. And Jesus says that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The point that Jesus is making is that God does what he wants us to do. God loves his enemies. And this is one of the characteristics that makes our God different. Most other people are trying to find a way to please their God. And in fact, if you belong to one major world religion, you will never know if God is pleased with you until you actually get to heaven. You will never know whether you made it or not until that very day. Our God says, there's nothing that you can do to make me love you more or less. And we kind of expect that from God. We expect grace and forgiveness, and we expect for him to extend love to us no matter what we do to him. We expect those things from God, but do we turn around and, ex and extend those things to others? Maybe not, because maybe we're living in the old way, where money and position and power bring security. That's what Jesus is getting at. Man, if I learned anything over the past two years, it's that my hope and security are in Jesus, in nothing and no one else. There's a great line from an old hymn that says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Man, have I learned that these last two years. So the temptation for us is to expect these things from God and have difficulty sharing them with others. The temptation is to just become hoarders of God's grace. We want it all, and we have a difficult time extending it to others. And that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? I mean, what's the big deal? So I, I was thinking in terms about grace giving and grace hoarding. And I was really taken with that, that we tend to love how God loves us and we hoard all that up and, and it being grace hoarders instead of being grace givers. Instead of taking that grace which God freely gives to us and freely giving it to other people around us. Having a generosity of spirit being uh, versus being mean and miserable and all complaining all the time. I mean, on very practical levels, we have the ability to live into a different world and a different reality because our security is in Jesus. Our loyalty is in a different kingdom. We can freely extend grace because grace has been freely extended to us. And then verse 48, which might be the most ignored portion of all these frequently ignored verses. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father, Heavenly Father, is perfect. And we look at that and we go, I can't be perfect, so I'm not even going to try. But saying that is like saying, I can't play the piano. So I'm not even going to try. 
I'm not going to take a lesson. I'm not going to practice because I can't play the piano. It's like saying, I can't hit a baseball, so I'm never going to pick up a bat. I'm never going to take any lessons. I'm never going to play the game because I know I can't do it. It's kind of the same thing. What Jesus is really talking about in being perfect is a particular Greek word there, and I'll tell you what it is just so you know I have a seminary education. It's teleos, and it actually means ending. It, it, in fact, it's one of the words that Jesus uses on the cross, tetelestai, it is finished. Uh, what, what Jesus is saying is, finish this thing with God. You're moving down this path towards being like Jesus, towards being like God. Keep on the course. Just keep on the course. Be perfect. Be like your Father. Be loving. That's what Jesus is getting at. Don't switch courses. Don't stop practicing. Just keep moving that direction. So let's make this easy. Let's make just a couple of points out of all this. As a follower of Jesus, as someone who's living in a different reality, go beyond what's expected of you. Under-promise and over-deliver. Because we're free from the low expectations of the culture. We follow a God whose expectation is extravagant love. Meeting expectations can be done grudgingly. But to give more, that's a service. That's an offering. That's a grace. Respond charitably. Grace is free. So is graciousness. It costs you nothing to be gracious in every situation. Something that I think we need to continue to learn, money doesn't equal security. I, I watched a great uh, movie over Christmas. No, it wasn't a Hallmark Christmas movie. I, I'm done with those for now. It was called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And it's the story of Charles Dickens writing a Christmas carol. And at one point, Ebenezer Scrooge comes to life. Um, as all the characters do for Dickens to, to learn about them, write about him. And Dickens does this word association with Scrooge. He, he trots out different words for him to say what his response is. And when Dickens says money, Scrooge says security. And if you know anything about the movie, you know that Scrooge was all about piling up money. He never had enough security. And we tend to look at money the same way. Money brings us security, but does it really? Do we live like we can trust God, not just our bank accounts? I think the fear is sometimes that if we trust God, he might meet my needs, but he won't meet my wants. And I think that's worth thinking about. And then, because money doesn't equal security, he goes on to say, and I think there's another point, Lend to those who can't repay you. I do not have a copy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together in my office. I've probably owned 30 copies of Bonhoeffer's Life Together. The reason that I do not own a copy of it anymore and that I have bought 30 of them is because I keep telling people what a great book it is and they say, I'd love to read it. I'm like, here, I have a copy. You can borrow it and nine times out of 10, it never comes back again. Now, I could go, you know, it's 11 bucks a pop every time I hand out life together. I'm never going to loan it to another person and save myself 11 bucks. But honestly, I'd rather spend the 11 bucks and have people read life together. I'd rather be generous with that, even if they never return it to me. Because that's the type of person 
that I want to be. And I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, you're, you're living in your neighborhood, you're just doing your thing, and you have a neighbor who comes over, you're out in your garage, or in, and the neighbor comes over and goes, hey, I got this thing I'm doing, can I borrow a screwdriver? And you're like, well, yeah, you can borrow a screwdriver. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute, last year I loaned you a wrench, and you didn't bring the wrench back, so I'm not gonna lend you the screwdriver. Now, you could do that, but can't you afford another screwdriver if he doesn't bring it back? You're like, yes, but I shouldn't have to. People should be responsible. Yeah, people should be a lot of things. But if you refuse to lend the screwdriver to your neighbor, I'm willing to bet you have more screwdrivers than friends. Our model is Jesus, and he'd give you one of his screwdrivers. Just a practical application. I also think we need to watch emphasizing our personal rights. Jesus keeps saying, this is about giving. This is about helping other people. This is about being generous. I just don't see that personal rights is a chief concern of Jesus' followers, particularly since Jesus gives up his rights in order to serve others. I think we need to spend some time thinking about how much our personal rights figure into how we live our lives. I think another point to be made is be careful of conventional wisdom. Jesus says twice, you have heard it said. That's conventional wisdom. It's even religious wisdom. I never thought that it would be hard to buck conventional wisdom. I've always looked at some of the horrors of the past and thought, why didn't good people do something? But I've discovered that it's really hard when everyone else just accepts something to stand up and say, this isn't right. So I think we need to keep in mind that conventional wisdom is not always right. Jesus is presenting two competing visions of life. A life that is filled with vengeance, a life that is filled with counting, you know, how the value of other people, or this other vision of what, what life can be. Uh, life without revenge, life without grudgingly giving things, a life without hate, a life without assigning value to people on a sliding scale or keeping track of what they've done for you lately, a life with generosity, a life of blessing. And if you think about all of those things that Jesus is talking about, it's really a blueprint for Jesus' own life. It's the things that Jesus does. And it's what Jesus wants for us. It's the teleos, the end of where we're headed. And we have a chance, if we'll take Jesus seriously, to bring it forward into the now. So let me ask you three questions. Number one, do you tend more towards grace giving or grace hoarding? Number two, what person can you walk an extra mile with this week? And number three, what evidence would you point to that Jesus is changing your life here and now? Thank you.